You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Galatians 5 verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Heavenly Father, we do look to you, O Lord, to be our teacher this morning. Father, to guide our minds and our hearts in your instruction. Father, open our minds and our hearts to uh, understand and perceive that which, Father, you purpose for us to learn. And help us, O Father, not just to understand these verses, but to align our hearts with these verses and that these verses would begin, O Lord, to shape the way that that we think in this world, the way we live in this world, the way we seek to please you in this world. So do this work, O Father, in our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verse 13, where Paul says to us, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And of course, this would be freedom uh, for not just brothers, but brothers and sisters. And here we see with this call to freedom, our minds are probably already taken back to the first verse of chapter 5. If you go back there, you see in verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And we've been talking about freedom now for some time. And I want to build on that a little bit, uh, partially by way of review, but partially by way of beginning to set forth some principles that we haven't looked at yet so far in our study. And I think there's two ways, um, two headings that I think will help us with this. Let's think about freedom this morning as thinking about freedom from, and that's going to be a review and freedom to or freedom toward something. That's going to be um, a new principle. I could put it in questions, perhaps by stating it in questions. Maybe it'll become clearer. Uh, We could say freedom from what? Uh, Maybe that's a little bit clearer. Um, Freedom from, freedom from what? Um, Freedom to, okay, freedom to do what? Uh, Freedom toward what? So under those two headings, I want us to get started. And once we develop this new principle, then I'd like to flesh it out with the second part of verse 13, 14, and 15. So let's start with freedom from what? In verse 13, we have, for you were called to freedom, brothers. This takes us back to verse 1 of chapter 5, where Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And this takes us back to an earlier study where we begin to flesh this out. We begin to ask, okay, freedom from what? Now, of course, freedom from sin, um, freedom from the dominion of the evil one, if you will, uh, freedom from law-keeping to um, gain the favor of God. But there was one phrase, especially in chapter 4, verse 3, that we looked at and spent some time with. And in verse 3 there, you see, in the same way, we also, Paul's including himself, saying when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And we spent a lot of time on that. So we could say it's freedom from these elementary principles of the world. What are these elementary principles of the world? I hope you don't mind me reminding us one more time of those things. But this really is the way we learn things. I mean, 
all of us can rattle off our birthdays um, pretty easily. Most of us probably could rattle off our social security numbers pretty easily. We've got these, uh, um, these things that we have stored up in our long-term memory. How do we get these things in our long-term memory? Two simple things, space and repetition. You know, you, you, you repeat these things, you wait a while, you repeat these things again. And this, um, this, these two words, elementary principles, I think this is one for us that we want to store in our hearts. You know, when we were looking at that, we, you'll recall that these two words are translating one word uh, in the Greek, and, and there was three shades of meaning of that one word. Uh, what were those shades of meaning? Well, the fundamental components of the universe was one. Fundamental components of the universe, spiritual beings was a second one. Um, and, of course, the third were the basics, if you will, of an area of study, the basics of an area of study. And if we think about the ancients and what we know of the ancients and many of the religions that were prevalent, uh, and we think about, you know, um, our own galaxy, if you will. I know down at the park, this has been really helpful as I've been trying to develop these things down there because we have some folks down there that are scientific-minded. You know, they, they're into science. They're into some of these things. And, and what really I think helped them was, you know, let's think about the planets in our solar system. What are the names of these planets? And they, they started rattling off those names. And you got, you know, Mars, you got Neptune, you got Venus, you got Saturn. Okay, <laughs> Where did these names come from? Well, they come from these ancient gods. Well, there you go. You have the fundamental components of the universe there, and now that you've got the spiritual beings, now I think we're starting to get warmed up. And, and from that, you have these various religions, which would take the third definition, wouldn't it? Um, these basic uh, fundamental principles, if you will. Where do they come from? Well, they come from, you know, you think of the proverb that says this, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to our fallen hearts, if you will. Um, and, and you can see it's all right there. And let's not think that it's limited to the first century, to all of the various religions of the first century, because you can, as soon as you start thinking about many of the New Age movements, many of the uh, stuff, the pantheism and everything else that's going on today, you see that more things change, the more they stay exactly the same, don't they? And I think it's really helpful for us to have those things kind of in our minds, as we view all this, and why I keep repeating it is because the more we repeat this, the more we go over this, the further that we begin to digest this truth, the easier it's going to be for us to talk to one another when we're at the water cooler at work. And I'll tell you what will happen. You won't even realize how much of the stuff you have stored up until you're called upon. And then you begin, and sometimes, maybe some of you have experienced this, where someone will ask you a question, and you'll speak for five minutes, and you don't have any clue where all of that came from, but you're happy it came. Has anybody ever had that experience? And this is what we're doing right now. We're storing this stuff up so we'll have it for the moment when we need it. And it's really wonderful when the Lord pulls us out of his toolbox and uses us from those uh, from moment to moment. Now, I want to take this a little bit further, and we've been toying around with a diagram, you know. In earlier studies, I've asked you to kind of put up a blank sheet of paper in your mind, and I know some of us, our minds are tired, and I hope I'm not overworking them this morning, but it's a blank sheet of paper, okay? It's not full of uh, uh, algebra or calculus or anything. It's just a blank sheet of paper, okay? And we're going to put a dot on um, on one side, put it in the landscape fashion so it's a piece of paper like this. We've got a dot, if you will, on one side of the paper. You're going to put your name under the dot. You put 
Put your daughter on there, put Kylie under it. Put your daughter under there, put Isaac under it. Put your daughter under there, put Peyton under it. Had to pick on you a little bit. Put, put your name under that dot. And on the other side of the paper, this is what we've been doing. We've been putting justification or getting right with God on the other side. And we've talked about two roads. There's two ways that we can do this. There's the road underneath. We've had the one road. If we could be perfect, if you can be completely perfect, you can walk this lower road and be justified, which is the way Jesus does it, isn't it? What's the problem with that? Well, some of you are probably thinking, I'm not Jesus. Well, that's exactly right. Therein lies the problem. We can't be perfectly, we cannot be perfect because we've already blown that. That's an impossibility for us as fallen human beings. So then we had the other line, the upper line, if you will. What is that road? That's the gospel. That's the road of faith, right? Now, this is the drawing we've been playing with. This is the drawing that we've been entertaining. I want to modify this drawing just slightly. We got your dot with your name under it. We got um, the other dot, instead of calling it justification or getting right with God, let's just call it heaven or eternal life. It's heaven, eternal life. You have the gospel. It's the same. That's the upper road. That's faith in Christ. Now, the road down underneath, we're going to call that the elementary principles of the world. The elementary principles of the world. And if you look at verse chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, formerly, when you did not know God, okay, formerly, before you were up on the upper road, on your diagram, right? Formerly, when you did not know God, you were what? You're enslaved. You're enslaved to what? To those that by nature are not gods. Now, you remember, and this is really important, it's really important, you've got to be really careful with this one if you're communicating this one to other people. I'm just going to warn you, because... This one here does elicit a lot of strong and passionate feelings from people. I, I think there's a right time for this, actually. But in verse 8, Paul says that before you were up on the upper road of our diagram, that is, before you knew God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In other words, you were on the bottom road is where you were, and you were enslaved on that bottom road, and you are enslaved to things that are not just simply the figments of people's imaginations, although that would be part of it. But you are enslaved by powerful demonic forces. And you remember, we looked at that. We've looked at that in earlier studies. And we've gone back to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, where he's talking about idols and sacrificing to idols and sacrificing to idols. He goes, not that an idol is anything, but those who participate, those who sacrifice to these idols, offer sacrifices to what? To demons. And what we see behind all of these religions are powerful demonic forces that are blinding minds and eyes. Now, why does this elicit so much passion out of people? Is because on this lower row, according to the elemental principles of the world, there's some fundamental basics here. There's some fundamental basics, and one of those basics is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in believing it. That's held very passionately. I mean, a lot of people that we rub elbows with every day hold those views, and they hold those views very, very passionately. And I, I for one, I, 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 in realizing that, I try to be very delicate with that. And I think there's a time um, 
to reveal that. And typically, I'll just share with you how I go about doing it. And I don't say this because I think I'm doing it perfectly. I don't think that. I'm just going to share with you um, what I do. And you can take it or leave it for better or for worse. But I usually try to spend time giving people Jesus before I get into a lot of those things. So people will start to get a, they'll start to get an idea who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Because that begins to tug us off this lower road, if you will. And as we begin to understand who Jesus is and what he has done, namely what he has done on the cross, then it becomes clear that there is only one way because what else do you do with the sin? And I think this goes a lot better than simply telling everybody, skipping all of that and just telling everybody that all these religions are false, all these religions are demonic, all these... I think it, I think it does us a lot of good to give people Jesus for a while before we uh, go into that. But for the sake of all of this, what is, what is Paul telling us? He's telling us formerly, we were on this lower road. Before faith came, we we're on this lower road. And listen, folks, this is where everybody is. They're on this lower road. Where does that lower road lead? It does not lead to heaven. It does not lead to heaven. It leads straight to hell. That's where that road leads. And that's, that's, the, that's, that's the terrifying horrifying, sad truth of that, isn't it? And Jesus makes it really clear. Those who are on that road are many, aren't they? Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14? The road to destruction is wide, and those who are on it are many. So here we are. Paul's talking about what we are free from. What are we free from? We're free from these elementary principles of the world. Back to verse 13 of chapter 5. Paul says you were called to freedom. Freedom from what? Elementary principles of the world, if you will. Freedom from all that stuff that's down on that bottom row. Faith in Christ puts us up on this upper road, if you will. But on this upper road, if you will, we're not free to just do whatever we want. Right? We've actually not just been freed from something. We are now free toward something. Well, what does that mean? We don't usually talk that way. What does it mean to be free to? We now have freedom to become Christ-like. We didn't have that freedom on the bottom row. But having been removed from the bottom road, having been removed from the slavery of being on that bottom road, we're put up on the top road. And on the top road, on the upper road, on the gospel road, we now have freedom to become Christ-like. In other words, we have freedom to become like Jesus, don't we? And that's the end game. That's the end game, if you will. Freedom to become like Christ on this upper road. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not going to take all of this in order. I think, as I've been thinking through this, I think it'd be easier if we skip a couple things and we go to verse 14, where it says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself because there's a life-changing principle right there that we need to grasp. And we might not leave here this morning fully grasping because I think this is one that takes us a little while to begin to digest. And in case anyone was wondering, what in the world would we be doing in Leviticus 19 this morning? Because nothing you seem to be talking about has anything to do with Leviticus 19. Well, you'll notice that Paul's quoting from there. And let's, let's keep our place in Galatians and let's go back to Leviticus 19. And I, I want to show a couple of principles. And I want to introduce these principles by saying one thing. Paul is shifting gears right now in our text. He's shifting gears. What has Paul been doing in Galatians all this time? He's been showing us that to get on that upper road, if you will, how do we get on that upper road? How do we get up there? It's through faith in Christ. Salvation is by faith in Christ. What are the agitators been doing? They've been adding to that principle. They've been saying, no, 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 no. Paul, the law has to have some place in all of this, Paul. Uh, it has to have some place in this. So the formula they come up with is that salvation is by faith in Christ plus circumcision, dietary laws, and whatever you want to add in there. What are they doing? They're feeling the tension here of what do we do with the law? The law has to have some place in this. Now, we can understand and appreciate this. And the point is the law does have a place in this. And we're moving now kind of away from justification and we're moving to how are we supposed to live as people who are already justified? In other words, what role for those of us who are committed that salvation is, in, is by faith in Christ, end of the story, what role does the law now play in our lives? That involves sanctification. That involves becoming like Christ. Remember what I just said. We're free to what? We're free to become like Christ. What role does the law play in that? Now, let's tease out some principles from Leviticus 19 because Paul's quoting from there. If you look at verse 1, Paul said, or I'm sorry, Moses, who writes Leviticus, he says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all of the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them. In other words, who's, who's, the Lord's giving this message to Moses. Moses is giving it to the Israelites. Um, verse number 2 in the middle, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now, what's going on right there? We have really two commandments that are being said, and we all know our Ten Commandments, right? Does everybody know your Ten Commandments? Um, if it's sneaking, okay, we got some heads going, yeah. Listen, everyone, learn the Ten Commandments. The kids have been learning them. Um, if, learn the Ten Commandments, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> I'll show you where you can learn them. Um, Exodus 20, if you go, you're going to run out of fingers here, but if, you, if you're not aware of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, first commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Second commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm sorry, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, uh, if you will. Third commandment is you shall not... Uh, use the Lord's name in vain. Fourth commandment, you shall, not, you shall honor and keep the Sabbath holy. Fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father. All right? Now, if you look at Leviticus 19 there, verse 3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Okay, fifth commandment, right? Okay. Everyone is to revere his mother and father. You shall keep my Sabbath. Okay, fourth commandment. Interesting thing about that is sometimes we take the Ten Commandments and we divide them up. 
first table, second table. And we say that the first table pertains to our relationship with God. Second table pertains to our relationship with one another. That's helpful to a point. That's helpful to a point. But it's a little overly simplistic because there's a relationship between all of these commandments. They're all intertwined. And I think what's interesting here is the fourth and fifth commandments are held there in verse number three. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Here we have the end, if you will, of the first table, the beginning of the second table, side by side here. Let's just hold on to that for a moment as we continue. Verse number four, do not turn to idols or make yourself any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Okay, there's the second commandment. Okay, verse number five. When you offer a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and any thing left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it's eaten at all on the third day, it's tainted and will not be accepted. Everyone who eats, eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, what's interesting is worship is tossed in here, isn't it? Worship is being tossed in here. And we're being told how to worship. And specifically being told not to eat this meat from the peace offering on the third day. Okay. Well, what would tempt us to do that anyway? Now, especially having been told not to do it. And if we gave in to doing that, what would that serve to prove about us in that moment in time in which we gave in? It would serve to prove that in that moment in time, God really wasn't sovereign, was he? If God wasn't sovereign, then who was? You shall have no other gods before me. There's a violation of the first commandment. Do you see that? And do you see how quickly a failure in worship can be a violation of the first commandment? Okay. There's a principle here that, that we need to start to see because as soon as we start worshiping falsely, okay, what happens to one another? In other words, does, the, does false worship affect the rest of us? Does false worship have an effect on other people? Just toss that out there. I think you know the answer. Many of you are going like this. Yes, it does. So what we see here is a violation of the first commandment actually has effects, a violation of a commandment on the first table has an effect on the rest, doesn't it? Let's just continue going. We're going to see more of this as we go along. Verse number nine. Um, well, here, verse number five, where did we leave off? Verse number nine, yeah. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And after you... And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And what's going on there? In other words, don't run your farm in such a way that you're making use of every single ounce of profit that it could possibly be used. Save some for somebody else. Leave some for someone else. Now let's think about that. If we're tempted to violate that principle, what's going on in our hearts? Well, someone might say, yeah, I see someone already said greed, love of money. Okay, greed, love of money. What is that principally about? That means that our best interest and in the welfare of our hearts and the welfare of our lives is best served serving this other God. What is this other God? It's the God of money or the God of gain, isn't it? What happens to the first commandment? 
It's gone. But we could also make a good argument that we have stolen because we're told to leave a portion of this for other people. But if we violate that, if you will, and we go ahead and we take the rest of it, the stuff that we're supposed to leave, there is a sense in which we have stolen, isn't there? And you can see, you see how all these things are connected. I mean, the first table and second table are helpful, if you will, but I want us to see how all of these things are connected to one another. Verse, uh, verse 11, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Okay, there's the eighth commandment and the ninth commandment. Um, obviously, it's pretty easy. If we steal, we violate somebody. If we, if we lie, we deceive them. Pretty easy. Uh, verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay, violation of the third commandment. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with, uh, with you all night until the morning. This happens, by the way, where people's paychecks have been withheld. Um, a, a man cried on my shoulder here earlier this week, maybe it was last week, telling me that his boss has been steadily delaying his paycheck. His paycheck is not happening on the day it's supposed to happen. It starts out a couple days late. And it's the third. Now, now he's getting paid a week late, and it's, it's going further and further. If, if this doesn't get settled, he's going to end up probably getting beat out of some paychecks. Verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. Notice how the fear of the Lord actually is a deterrent against oppressing these people who are blind. And death. Now, I mean, we should see these folks as image bearers of God, right? The blind and the deaf. But we also should, what, what should we see? I mean, a lot of times we take our hearing and we take our sight for completely for granted, do we not? And here, we're, if, if, if we can see one another and we can hear one another, we're recipients of these great blessings that not everybody has. And the fear of the Lord, I think, is something that's going to remind us of that. And a fear of the Lord is expressed in not having any other gods but Him, right? And you can see the relationship between the first commandment and oppression. As you grow in the first commandment, you're going to be less inclined to oppression. You see the connections that I'm trying to make here? Uh, verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But, and here's a summary of the whole thing. I think this is a summary of the whole thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I think this, this forms a summary of the whole thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think everybody's getting this. So let's go back to Galatians now, just with this kind of quick survey in our minds here. And what are we, what are we told here in Galatians? Galatians 5 verse 13, you were called to freedom. We're free from the elementary principles of the world. We're free from that road that's down below. We're free now to be on the upper road where we now have freedom to become Christ-like. We're told not to use this freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. But look at that second part there. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, the agitators are saying there's no room for the law in Paul's system because Paul is saying, listen, you're, you're, if, if, you're, if you're saved simply by faith, where does the law fit into this? I mean, what are you doing with the law? Are you now lawless? And the answer to that is no, we're not lawless. But lawless, but the law has no place in terms of our justification. Law has no place in terms of us getting right with God. How do we get right with God? We do that by faith in Jesus who kept the law for us. Okay, then what role does the law have? How is the law, in this scheme, in Paul's scheme, in the gospel scheme, how does the law fit in? It fits in this way. We, we keep the law as we love one another. And it's a complete freedom. Let me give you an illustration, I think, that maybe we'll flesh this out. We've been using the speed limit illustration as we've gone along. Okay, you're riding along, and you come into a borough or a village, and you notice that this, the speed limit's been 45 for miles and miles and miles. And now you notice it says, okay, reduce speed ahead. You come into the village, and it says 25 miles an hour. Okay, we could, with complete indifference to the people that live in the area, See the speed limit sign, slow down, drive through the town, 25 mile an hour, when the whole time we really want to get on with our trip and get to our destination. All right, 25, here we go. Okay, 45, boom. Oftentimes that means we can go 50, right? Okay, we can live life that way. By the way, that's, that's, this, that's this lower road kind of stuff. But in Christ, we've been called from that. And we've been set free from the law in this respect because on this upper road, we've been given an example by Christ. You know, think about the upper room, what Jesus does in the upper room. He does something that's completely unthinkable, unimaginable. The Messiah himself, what does he do? People, you know, run around in dusty streets in those days wearing sandals. They get together for a meal. Can you imagine what people's feet look like? And what does Jesus do on the night that he's arrested? He takes his outer garment off. He takes a basin of water. He takes a towel. And what's he do? He goes around and washes everyone's feet. He serves them in love, doesn't he? He says this to them as an example and says, you shall love one another. And it's a new commandment that's given. Although the new commandment's not really a new commandment, it's an old commandment. We read it from, Le from Leviticus 19, but Jesus renews it in the sense where he's given us an example that has never been given. It would have been completely unthinkable to anyone that the Messiah himself would stoop to such low servitude out of love for one another. And that's what life looks like on this upper road. So now a person on this upper road who is walking in this walking in, in gospel life is driving along. It's 45 miles an hour. They see speed limit ahead, reduce speed. They slow down. Why do we slow down? Because our neighbors live there. Oh, they could be miles and miles away, but they're still our neighbors. And our neighbor's kids live there. And one of them could be chasing their dog out on the street in front of us at any time or chasing a ball out on the street at any time. I know we've got to be there somewhere, but kids live in this neighborhood. That's a huge difference than the first example, isn't it? And you can see, that's, that's where Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon, upon you, for my burden is light. And I think that illustration gives us an idea. 
You're keeping the law. Actually, you're keeping the law the way you're supposed to keep the law. How are you keeping the law? You're keeping the law because you're loving this neighborhood enough to slow down and put your thing aside. Maybe I'm going to be late. Well, that's my thing, but there's kids that live here. There's children who live here. There might be some grandma with Alzheimer's who's walking around and doesn't know where she is. She might be here. There's all host of things that might be here. The speed limit's 25. It's 25 for a reason, because it's dangerous to go any faster than that to this community. And there we can begin to see how love actually becomes the driver, if you will, of keeping the law. I don't want to steal from anybody because it'd be a terrible violation. But once upon a time on this lower road, hey, you know, someone might reason why not if your conscience is seared enough. But no, on the upper road, no. What a violation to steal from somebody. What a violation to deceive. What a violation to do these things. And you can see the relationship of love, if you will. Paul's, Paul's got all of this here for us. Verse 13, you were called to freedom. Freedom from the elementary principles of the law. Freedom from that lower road. Freedom to be like Christ-like on the gospel road, the upper road. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. Now, what is Paul talking about when he says, "Free"? do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? I think it's answered in verse 15. What's Paul saying there? But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That verse almost seems like it doesn't belong there, doesn't it? When you're reading it. I mean, I studied this for a while, and it's like, where does that verse come from? It seems to like pop out of nowhere. Let's read it again. Verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Now, the only thing I can think of, and this is where many commentators are at. This is not original to me. I have many commentators. The only thing I can think of is there's a problem in the church. They're biting and devouring one another. And there's an important principle here that we need to leave. This is the last one I'm going to leave you with. I'm giving you a lot, but we're going to review this. We're going to be, if, if, if you're feeling like, oh man, oh, don't, we're going to go over this again and again and again. We're not done with Galatians yet. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to store this up in our hearts. But they're biting and devouring one another. And why are they biting and devouring one another? Here's a principle. When we lose our gospel focus, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in the faith decays. Did you get that? When we lose our gospel focus, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in the faith, decays. Paul's already talked about this. When he was making his emotional appeal, he says, listen, I would testify that once upon a time, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Speaking of such sacrificial love, what has happened to the blessing that you have felt? They've gotten off the gospel focus. When we, get, when we lose our gospel focus, our relationship with one another decays. And if our relationship with one another decays, what else happens? We're no longer keeping the law in love, are we? Because that love will decay as well. And when that love decays, okay, I got to get, I know the speed limit's 25, I got to get. We barrel through there at 35. 
They usually give you 10 mile an hour, <coughs> right? Trying to use examples that aren't these examples that wouldn't apply to any of us. I think these are examples that apply to me, that's for sure. I've been there and I've done that. I'll go first. I think it's enough for one morning, huh? I just want to end with one thing. Um, Look at how marvelously Jesus displays this at the cross. Who does he die for at the cross? He dies for those who hate him, who are yelling, crucify him, doesn't he? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we so thank you for these principles, Lord, and I think we'll probably be a while working through these things. Lord, I think it takes us a while, and I think it takes us a lifetime as we begin to work through these things, Lord. It sounds so good in theory right now, Lord, but this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Father, too easily, Lord, we, we, we're on the upper road by faith in Christ. We're on the upper road because you've given us faith, you've given us repentance, you've given us your Holy Spirit. But, Father, oftentimes our behavior looks like the lower road. Oh, Father, help us, O Lord, and transform us, Lord. Father, help and transform us, O Father, so that we'll see how the law is truly fulfilled in loving one another. For as we love one another, we keep the whole thing. And, O Father, we see the motivator is not so we can be made right with you. We're already right with you. The motivating factor is love. It's love for you and it's love for one another. And we know that all the laws summarily comprehended as the, I think as the catechism puts it, in those, in those two precepts. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for these things. Help us, oh, Father. Help us to live like the upper road for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.